You are listening to Work Human Radio, pioneered by Global Force, bringing more humanity to today's workplaces. You are enjoying our special edition coverage recorded live from Austin, Texas, and Work Human 18. And now, here are today's hosts. All right, good afternoon and welcome back to Work Human Radio. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Rayanne Thorne. Well, this conversation is going to make me happy. Oh, I hope so. I'm going to clap along if it does. <laughs> it's going to be a great conversation. <laughs> We've been looking forward to this one since we saw it on our assignment list. We have. We're joined uh, this afternoon by Amy Blankson. She's the author of The Future of Happiness and a co-author uh, with our other guest, The Ripples Effect, and a happiness researcher. Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. And we're joined also by Sean Aker, uh, known very well to the audience here at Work Human, but author of Big Potential and also a happiness researcher. Sean, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Sean, lead us off. Uh, obviously, uh, you're, as I said, very well known to the audience here at Work Human, and for goodness sakes, your quote's right behind you on the wall there. <laughs> so uh, give, there us you a, go. give us 30 seconds of uh, who you are for just the few that don't know you. Sure. For those of you that I haven't met yet, uh, I have been researching happiness now for a little over a decade and got fascinated when I was originally at Harvard recognizing that these students who were so successful, their levels of happiness didn't correspond to that. And as I started doing this out at companies, we started realizing that as somebody's levels of success rose, their happiness didn't rise with it. Um, so we got interested in exploring the connection between happiness and success. And while we found that success, success didn't necessarily lead to greater levels of happiness, when the brain became positive, every single success rate then increased dramatically. So the formula only worked in one direction. So we got interested in how happiness could be a choice and happiness could be an advantage. Outstanding. Amy, tell us about your, the work that you're doing. So I'm currently researching the intersection of happiness and technology. It's a topic that is on everyone's mind these days as we're wondering, what do we do with the constant digital distraction in which we live? How do we overcome that? And so I co-found GoodThink, our positive psychology researching firm, in 2007 with Sean. And initially, we had been studying how economic uncertainty, political uncertainty was causing so much unrest among people. And what I noticed in the last three years is that that pressure has shifted to technological uncertainty. Will robots take over our jobs? What's happening to my children? Are they actually going to know how to communicate face-to-face -face in a few years? Um, and as these questions emerge in both personal and professional lives, I thought that the faster we can bring the research from the academic, academic world into practice, the better off we'll all be. Outstanding. You know what, Todd? Mm. We have our very first unicorn. <gasps> <laughs> on the show, ah, on the show. Welcome, Amy. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> Did you ever imagine that your true identity was that of a unicorn and it would <laughs> pop out and spread? Sean's been talking about it for years. What's your side? Well, I knew it all along, but <laughs> he, he was catching up. <laughs> Actually, it's funny you ask because the last time I was asked this question with Sean, he was mic'd up and I wasn't. So this is a real privilege to have <laughs> okay, my own Florida good. speak. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who don't know the story, when I was about five years old, Sean knocked me off the top of a bunk bed. He would say gently... What would you say, Sean? Gently urged me off the bed. I've watched you fall. You watched. <laughs> he had nothing to do with it. But the truth is, I was perhaps a bit shoved off because my My Little Ponies were defeating his GI Joes in an epic battle, in which wow, you know, I as the younger, bossier sister um, was taking great pride. And so, 
off the bed, I fell to the ground and was about to scream bloody murder to alert my parents to this injustice when, <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, when Sean looked at me and, you know, it probably wasn't the first time that he knew how to, uh, how to m- manipulate slash, uh, inspire me to think otherwise of, uh, the situation. And so he was like, Amy, have you heard, um, or did you see what just happened? You landed on all fours. And I said, I did? He said, yes, only a true unicorn can do that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, you know, was I manipulated? Yes. Was I shoved? Yes. Was I inspired? Yes. yes. And I think that that set off a trajectory for me where, um, though we joke about it now, I really do think that that shift in mindset helped me make a personal leap to begin to believe in myself in a new way and to find my own sense of identity amidst the, the magic of uh, an older brother. <laughs> and, and he gave you the push for that, toward that, right? That, right. that is one argument. <laughs> But doesn't it explain how, frankly, how instant and easy a mind shift can be mm. made and changes everything, your perspective on a, on, on a moment, on a scenario, on a problem, on a, it's just fascinating. You guys are both happiness researchers. I, w- I guess it would be remiss not to sit there and ask you about your current work. Yeah. What are you looking at now? Sean, lead us off. Well, I think what you're asking is near and dear to the hearts of all the people that are here because they want to create change in people's lives. And I think sometimes we get frustrated that the change doesn't happen as fast as we want it to, or we even start to question, can you change somebody? Can somebody working in HR or in learning development really create long-term levels of change? And I think one of the things we keep getting shocked with is how fast change can actually occur. Like you're describing a a moment falling off of a bunk bed can have a transformative effect. Um, But so too we've seen people who are pessimists and uh, curmudgeons their whole life. Then they have a heart attack in, in their 50s or they get into a car accident and suddenly some people are debilitated from that afterwards mentally, but afterwards some people experience this post-traumatic growth where they suddenly realize that there's so much meaning in their life or they have a whole new lease on life or that they want to be more altruistic or somebody who is pessimistic becomes optimistic. So even these moments of trauma could create long-term positive change. What I find fascinating, I think we had, I wish we had more research on it. I think that's why Amy and I are here is we have a word for trauma, which is a negative event that can have long-term cascading negative consequences. And we don't have a word for the opposite. We don't even have a word mm, for the opposite of wow. a single positive event that could create long-term lasting positive change. How do we study it? And how do we replicate it over and over again in our organizations? So I think that's one of the things Amy and I are looking for in, in different avenues in technology and looking at individual behavior change is can we create those moments that create cascading positive changes where someone's entire, uh, they create these constellations of positive habits within their life. Amy, anything to add on the current work? I would just say in addition that I think the global perspective on what's happening in the workplace is fascinating to me. I know that the United Nations has been doing a tremendous amount of work studying what happiness means in the uh, in the current environment. And as they try to define these topics across the world, these uh, th- the word happiness means very different things. In some countries, it's economic. Others, it's a state of mental health. and some, it's financial. And I think that as we live in these moments, that it is we are coming closer and closer to metrics that can help us move the needle on where we're heading within the workplace and what that means to truly work more human. I think that 
people will be really encouraged to hear that there is progress in this movement, but they want to know what is it? How do we create this change? How is it scalable and replicable? And that's what we're here to do today. So I, I have a 22-year-old daughter that's just getting ready to graduate from college. And um, she bought this book called Adulting 101, right? <laughs> and one of, the, um, one of the sections says, don't complain because nobody cares. Hmm. Stop complaining. I think we, and I, I did it today, I don't feel well, right? We, we, have, we come to this place where we find the most negative thing around us and present that as an excuse for bad performance or why I'm grumpy, why I don't look well, why I, I'm not performing the best to my ability, you know, that whole bad performance thing. How, what are some simple things that will help us identify those the positive things that you referenced earlier? How can we be happier? Is there a, a simple couple of few steps you can say, hey, just be happy, just smile more often? What do you guys think? I think that optimism is not necessarily about wearing rose-colored glasses. It's about looking at the world through realism and beginning to make some real sustainable changes. A lot of times when we speak to people, they assume that we want them to be happy all the time. Right. And I think that is not actually even healthy. I think that having an ups and downs of emotions, the positive, the negative, is very normal. And those emotions don't necessarily define us. It's what we do with the emotions and how we move forward out of them. And so so I say embrace all your emotions, um, just don't dwell on the negative ones. I think the idea is that we're trying to scan the world for the more positive influences in our life, knowing that the human brain is a single processor. We receive 11 million bits of information every single second, and yet our brains can only process 40 bits of information. And so if we spend our day scanning the world for all the stresses and the hassles and the complaints, which don't get me wrong, they're there then we have no brain power left with which to process those things that are meaningful in our life, those things that help us rise above and find connection and purpose and joy. And so what we're trying to do with positive psychology is retrain the brain to scan the world for those things that are going to help you reach your full potential. Did, did you guys write the script for Inside Out? <laughs> I mean, you just, you just described everything about that, that, that still the unhappiness, the sadness, that's still part of you and who you are and you need to still have that in order to recognize happiness in order to recognize joy and and try and recapture that so i actually talked about inside out and my Did new you? book big, <laughs> big potential could i have this moment where i was a target well amy and i our, our father is a neuroscientist um oh. so we grew up in a household someone who's doing experiments on us and taking us to see brainwave machines and wow um so uh the very first thing I did as a proud neuroscientist son is I showed Inside Out to my four-year-old son. Um, and I was so excited to show him joy because I'm a happiness researcher. And uh, uh, we got to Target one day and I, I saw they had the plush animals on the wall. And I was like, Leo, look, there's, sad there's uh, joy. And he looked up and he was so excited. He was like, Dad, sadness. And I was like, no, you didn't. <laughs> look, there's joy. And he was like, sadness. And he took it off the shelf and started Aww. petting it. And I realized that this is a precious moment where... Um, so I took a sadness off Love the shelf that. as well. And so for a few moments, a happiness researcher sat on the floor of a target embracing, embracing sadness, sadness with the sun. <laughs> but I think it's uh, such an important point that you and Amy are making is that, you know, that it's not about just um, happiness. It's, it's not that other emotions are not valuable. Um, so we oftentimes think that anger and sadness, um, loneliness, that those are negative emotions. And I don't think that they actually mm -hmm. are. Those 
those emotions can create positive change. When I'm lonely, I need to reach out to see more of my friends. When I um, uh, feel sad sometimes, it might or bad, it might be because I've done something unethical or the system's unjust. That sadness can fuel great changes in our system. That's why we have the civil rights movement, is that unhappiness, mm-hmm. is that the, the frustration led to positive change. Um, I think that the opposite of happiness is not unhappiness. The opposite of happiness is apathy, which is the loss of joy we feel moving towards our potential. It's the loss of belief that we could do anything, which I think comes back to your original question, which, you know, Brene Brown was speaking um, right. earlier. And she told me, uh, I did an interview with her earlier, and she said, I think happiness is one of the most courageous words because if everything is out of my control, if my happiness is my genes and envir- my environment, then um, that's a very easy system to live in. I don't have to do anything. But as soon as happiness could be a choice, there's an onus that's placed upon me. So I, what I love about Amy's work is I think she's taken the, the positive psychology field, which said we need to study happiness. And she shifted it and said, here are the biggest problems facing us right now as parents, as individuals working in a technological world. What can we do in a hyper-competitive, hyper-comparison world to create happiness? So for example, social media, where we're getting this influx of information all the time, how do we find a way to create happiness? I think one of the ways we do it is shifting what you were describing, which is um, instead of going in to, when I used to go into social media trying to feel loved, I, it always backfired. Somebody always had more views or I thought I had a beautiful moment right. with my son and only two people liked it, right? Um, so I was like, well, I guess it wasn't valuable. But now what I do is I flipped it around. Now I use social media the same amount of time, but what I use it for is I go on and I like people's posts mm-hmm. and I comment on them and I'm like, your child's beautiful and that vacation looks great. Instead of seeing it as zero sum, they're happy, it's diminishing my happiness. I leave that moment in that space having felt like I loved somebody instead of hoping to be loved. And suddenly in that moment, I felt happiness from the same event. So I think... Amy's work is so important because she's shifting, shifting the lens. Them. It's I not avoid that. technology. It's how do we use this in a way to increase happiness and love? Sean, uh, one of the reasons that we all are always so invigorated by this event is it's a community of people that believe in the message that you're conveying and, and understand what we're talking about when it comes to happiness. And that's why we all feel so good about this. And there's such a vibe and a pulse here. But you go out into the cold, evil, dark world. <laughs> we still have a stigma with this idea of talking about happiness. Uh, how are we coming along on the journey to helping more and more people understand why this is worth thinking about, worth talking about, and understanding the science behind it. Um, so I think it's this this event fuels me, and I think you I've seen Amy walking around and like people glum on her and immediately want to talk to her because this is such an important topic for us right now. Because I think happiness is ambitious. Happiness is a loaded word. That's why Amy and I use it. We use it because it's not just a. I think no one says, I just hope my kids engage someday. You know, engagement is good and nice in, in corporate settings, but we use it almost because it's less um, difficult than happiness or joy Ooh, or peace or not compassion. Not as much work or not as much to, work. Sustain to sustain and maintain. It's ambitious to pursue happiness. It's courageous to pursue happiness. And when we try and do that individually, it becomes a huge burden and an onus, which is why I've been working in, on uh, Big Potential, which is I started recognizing that this choice of happiness wasn't an individual choice. It's an interconnected choice. When I choose to be positive inside an organization, in the midst of that cold, dark world you're describing, I give license to other people to become positive as well. And when they can see that it's possible, they start becoming positive. And it's so much easier for me to choose it when people are making the same choice around me. That's why I feel happy when I'm surrounded by individuals that are here. But I think that comes back to a really important point, is that I don't think it's a cold, dark world. We did a study. We found 31% of people at organizations are optimist, but not expressive of it at work which means a third of the people we're working with are closet optimists. They seem really, really neutral, but they're actually 
optimists that just need to be given license to do it. And I think we need the technology. We need the uh, mindset choices. We need the habits. We need the leaders that are saying, we don't have to just uh, avoid the negative. What if we actually chose the positive? Yeah, that's, that. in, that's encouraging and uplifting. But however, I am sad now because we're yes. out of time. So uh, Amy, I'm going to ask you, where can people contact you to learn more about your work? My website is amyblinkson.com. Okay. And Sean, where can people find everything out about you? Um, at seanacor.com um, or happinessadvantage.com. Okay. Sean Aker and Amy Blankson, our resident in-house work human happiness researchers, guys. It was great to have you break a leg on your presentation in about 30 minutes' time. Appreciate you. you stopping by. Thank you. Thanks Thank so much. You. All right. It's all the time we have for now. Todd and Rayanne signing off from Austin, Texas. We'll see you again very soon on Work Human Radio. Work Human Radio is brought to you by Global Force pioneers of the work human movement. Global Force helps make work more human for millions of people and organizations worldwide. Learn more by visiting workhuman.com and join the work human movement by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and the Work Human Community Forum on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening to Work Human Radio.